The sixth trumpet of Revelation chapter 9 releases four angels that were bound in the great river Euphrates and a demonic army of 200 million to kill one third of all human beings on the earth. What is going on here? Who are these angels? Who are the horsemen? And what's the significance of the great river Euphrates? We'll talk about it on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, wrapping up Revelation chapter 9, which is where we get the last plague of the seven trumpets, which is, of course, the, the sixth trumpet, which we just talked about. Things are strange and they just keep getting stranger. And so why don't I just read? Let's, let's just start by reading the passage, wrapping up chapter nine, and we will go from there. Revelation chapter nine, starting at verse 13. Then the sixth angel uh, sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had, who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. And that wraps up chapter 9. So what is this strangeness all about? Well, before we start breaking down these verses, let me just recap my thoughts overall about the seven trumpets. As I've been saying for the last couple months that we've been studying these seven trumpets, I do not believe they are direct judgments from God for the ills of humanity. I believe they are from God. However, they serve the same purpose as the seven trumpet blasts in the book of Joshua, which brought down the stronghold, the walls of Jericho, allowing the Israelites to take possession of the land which God promised them. I think this is being the same event, the same type of event is being done on a larger scale where these seven trumpets are breaking down the spiritual satanic strongholds that hurt hold the earth captive to make the way for Jesus to take possession of the land that was promised to him, the land he earned that he owns, which is the entire earth, which he uh, gained the rights to at the, at the cross. And now he's taking possession of it. But these strongholds have to be brought down first. And the, uh, the first four trumpet blasts, as we saw um, a few weeks back, affected the natural world, waters and the earth itself and the sun, moon and stars. The last two are very, very spiritual. We talked in the last episode about the fifth trumpet that released the demonic locust. These were they, they tormented men for five months. Basically, it was the revenge of the Nephilim and the fallen angels for 
the flood where the Nephilim were killed. That was the purpose of the flood. The purpose of the flood was not to judge man for his evil, because if that were the case, then we should be flooded right now because the world is quite evil. No, this was about spiritual warfare. This was a spiritual battle. The reason that all the people on the earth had to be flooded was because the earth was full of the Nephilim, the hybrid uh, of the uh, the hybrid children of the angels who procreated, who came down and procreated with women. We'll talk, we're going to talk about them a bit more because this is, I think, a continuation of that. And we'll see that soon. And this is the the last of the uh, uh, demonic incursions. And I think it's clearly demonic. I, I, I Even though some people will try to add a terrestrial, modernized view to it, which we'll talk about, I, I just don't see how you can do that. I, I truly don't. You have to really, really blatantly ignore the clear words of the scripture in order to try to make this something non-supernatural. So anyway, let's just start uh, looking at these verses. Okay, so the sixth angel sounds in verse 13, and there was a voice from among the four horns of the golden altar before God. So this voice comes from the four horns. What's significant about that? Horns always are an idiom for authority. Every time you see the term horns in a symbolic vision, it means authority. We'll see later in, in uh, Revelation that there are beasts, therion, with horns that represents their authority. We see this in Daniel has horns. Uh, Jesus, the lamb, has horns. Horns are sig signify authority. So what's happening here is that this command, this voice, is from God. It's from God's authority. So this is not anything that Satan is initiating. This is something specifically that God is initiating. So that voice says to that sixth angel who just blown the trumpet to release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. What is the significance of the great river Euphrates? Well, if you've been reading the Bible for any length of, length of time like I have, I've been studying the Bible my entire life, you will hear about the great river Euphrates quite a bit. It was one of the rivers that flowed out of, um, it bordered Eden. Um, it flowed from Eden along with the Tigris and the Pashan and one other, which I don't have in front of me right now. Hold on, I will tell you in a sec. Okay, uh, oh, and I was mistaken that one of the rivers is not the Tigris. It's actually the four rivers that came out of Eden were the Pishon, um, the... Uh, Gihon, Hittigel, and the Euphrates, not the Tigris, the Euphrates, although the Tigris is the twin river. So the great river Euphrates is mentioned throughout the Bible, and it's associated often with apocalyptic stuff. And so when when you think of that great river, when I would think of it, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this must be a huge river. I mean, it's called great all the time. So it must be on par with the Nile or the Amazon or those kind of rivers. And when I finally had a chance to see the Euphrates, I expected that you know hugeness, and I was fairly disappointed. And I'll show you on the screen what the Euphrates looks like. It's frankly not that impressive. It's not anywhere near as large as the Amazon or the Nile or even the Mississippi River here in the United States. It's just it's you know it's fine. It's a river, but there's nothing that significant about it. But that's the problem we have when we try to focus on the physical. And if it's not physically significant, then it must be spiritually significant. And it is spiritually significant. Water, in fact, is spiritually significant. And creatures being bound, angelic beings being bound in, in water is pretty common. When you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when after God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, it says the earth was formless, chaotic, and, there, and it was covered in water. Now, God did not create the world formless, and chaotic. We see that in Jeremiah. Jeremiah specifically says that it was, God did not create the world that way. It became that way. The earth became formless and chaotic due to a judgment. 
And as part of that judgment, the earth was flooded for the first time. I think the great flood in Genesis chapter six is the second time the earth was flooded. The first time was after, I believe, an original angelic rebellion. And and um, on the second day, God had to separate the water so that dry land would appear. So water is a seems to be seen as a source of chaos. It is a source of demonic activity, and it's also a prison for demonic entities. Demons don't like water. Uh, Jesus himself said uh, when he was talking to his disciples that when a demon is cast out, it goes through dry or waterless places. It avoids water. If you look at when, at the time Jesus cast the um, legion of demons out of the you know crazed man in, in the graveyard, the, he cast them into a bunch of pigs. And what did the pigs do? The pigs ran off a cliff and jumped into water. The pigs were smart enough to know that, you know, we need to get into water to get these demons out of us. So water is a, a very spiritual in, in, in that sense. And it's a place where angels and demonic beings can be bound. We will see when we get to uh, the, the Antichrist and, and we'll do a whole series, a nice, pretty long series on the Antichrist. He comes out of the sea. He is released from the sea. He is a demonic entity that I believe inhabits a human being. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about the Antichrist a great deal. But these four angels are bound in the river Euphrates. Why are they bound there? What's the significance? Well, if they're bound in Euphrates, and again, Euphrates was one of the rivers in Egypt, I'm sorry, Egypt, Egypt, excuse me, that came out of Eden, and which has led many people to believe that Eden had to be around the Mesopotamian area because currently that's where the river Euphrates is. It's really it's something I'm really not sure about because for the main reason that the whatever the topography of Eden was like, it was pre-flood. After the entire world was flooded, the, the landscape looked very different. And so this river, whatever it was, probably isn't quite the same as the current river Euphrates in, again, in the Middle East. Maybe it's in the same spot and it's you know smaller than it was at the time of Eden. Who knows? Because the other three rivers are gone. The other three rivers that uh, came out of Eden, they no longer exist on this planet. So I think the flood destroyed them. And maybe this is just a remnant of the Euphrates. I don't know. But the fact that these angels were bound in the Euphrates tells me that whatever they did to get bound there happened pre-flood. And do we have any record of angels being bound pre-flood in by God. I believe we do. If you look at the pseudepigraphal book of Enoch, which again is not canon, but it's a book that should be taken seriously because it's quoted in the Bible in the books of Peter and Jude, and even Jesus himself refers to the book of Enoch um, in some of the things that he says. And it was very well known and very well accepted during the first century by second temple Jews. So we should take it seriously. The book of Enoch makes it very clear that there were some that the angels who fell, the angels who originally came down in Genesis chapter six and cohabited with women, had intercourse with women and produced the Nephilim. God judged them and he had angels bind them for 70 generation, generations. They were bound for 70 generations. That is a set period of time. I do not know how long an angelic generation is, but the angels knew the angels who were bound knew. Why? Because it says in the in, in this verse here that they have been prepared or they were waiting more accurately for the day, month, for, for, for the year, the month, and the day. So they knew how long they had been bound and they know that, okay, our time of being bound is, is almost up and they are basically chopping at the bit to get out. And so I think, I believe these, these are those angels.
and the 70s generation, whenever that happens, I, maybe it's coming up soon, they will be ready to come out and do their deed. And what is their deed? What are they going to come out to do? They're going to kill a third of mankind. How many people is that? Don't know for sure, because honestly, I don't know how many people are going to be on the earth at this point. If you take the chronology of Revelation, which we've been talking through, some people don't believe in the chronology that, you know, there's six seals, then six, then seven trumpets. I'm sorry, there's seven seals, then seven trumpets, then seven bowls. We talked about uh, some of the ways that people see the chronology of Revelation. Some see that these all happening at the same time that or, or that the Revelation is just talking about the same series of events different ways so that the seven seals are the same as the seven bowls or this and which are the same as the seven trumpets. I don't see that. I don't believe it because the Bible uses words like after this and then this happened and then something. So it uses uh, chronological terms. So I believe these things happen in a chronology. So if I'm correct, then at, you know, at, at the opening of the sixth seal, uh, I'm sorry, the fourth horseman, excuse me, when the fourth horseman uh, comes through in the fourth seal, he kills um, a fourth of mankind. That's, you know, that's probably like, that could be 2 billion people if we're talking about today's number. And then, you know, many people die in the other plagues and many people will die during the previous uh, uh, five trumpets. So who knows how many people have, let's say that conservatively speaking, that half of the population is gone. So maybe we have, I don't know, three-ish billion people left. Well, a third of them, that's a better part of a billion people. That's a lot of folks to be killed. So let's just say hundreds of millions of people are killed and by, by these angels and most importantly, by their army, their army of horsemen. And John clearly says that this the number of horsemen is 200 million. And he emphasizes this exact number because he says, I heard the number of them. There's a 200 million horsemen army. Who is this army? Well, I believe it's demonic. I believe these are demons, possibly Nephilim or maybe other fallen angels. Maybe these the four angels who are released are the commanders and the the remaining 200 million are are either other demonic entities or other Nephilim, there are other fallen angels. The Bible isn't clear right there, but I believe they're spiritual. However, there are many Bible teachers who try to make this physical and they try to think of this as a human army and they always seem to fall on the Chinese. Why? Because China is the most populous country in the world. They have over a billion people. So they are really the only country that has the population to field a 200 million man army. Now, I just don't buy into this because I think there are just way too many problems with it. I way too many problems with it. And one of the first um, problems is that it, doesn't, it just doesn't make any logical sense. Why would the why would the Chinese be commanded by demons? I mean, it's, it almost sounds kind of racist that you believe that the Chinese are so evil that these four demonic horsemen are going to come and raise up their, the army and the, and the Chinese army will do their bidding. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's some serious issues with the leadership in China. They're communist, meaning they're atheists, and they've really subjected their people to some horrible things. But that's kind of part and parcel of atheism. I mean, if you, you can't blame the the Chinese government for acting the way they act, because if you're a communist and you're atheist, they, they're, they're basically they're acting the way atheists should act if you take atheism to its logical conclusion. I mean, if you believe that mankind and everything that's alive is nothing but the result of uh, billions of beneficial accidents that just happened, if we're all 
just if, if evolution is true, then all life is a result of a bunch of accidents, meaning that there's no meaning to life. There's no significance to life. So the life of a human being is no more valuable than the life of a cockroach or a, uh, or a rat. We're just vermin, meaning that you should have no more sympathy for killing a human than who, who's you know in your way than you would for killing a cockroach. Hey, if I step on a cockroach, I don't feel any sympathy. I just keep going. If rats have infested my house, I'm going to call the exterminator and hope he kills every last rat that's gotten in. And I'm not going to lose an ounce of sleep over it. Well, again, if you're an atheist, if you're an evolutionist, then that's you hold those same beliefs. You believe that life is insignificant, that my human life is no more valuable than the life of a rodent or a bug. And just as you should feel no pain or sympathy or guilt for exterminating cockroaches and rats and any other type of vermin that invade your house, you shouldn't feel any type of sympathy or empathy or guilt over killing people who are overpopulating the world and eating too much food and just making the earth a bad place to live. And that's what Mao Zedong did, the, lead, the old leader of communist China. That's what Joseph Stalin did. That's what Adolf Hitler did. He thought the Jews were vermin, so he, he just killed them. And if you're an atheist, it shouldn't matter. So if you're an atheist and you have a problem with Hitler, you're kind of being a hypocrite because all Hitler did was just exterminate some meaningless life. All Stalin and Mao did was exterminate some meaningless life. So sorry, I went down a rabbit trail there, but I just think the I, I think atheists are not honest with themselves because you cannot be an atheist and still have and, and still attach any value to life if you're really being honest and really being true to your beliefs. But most of them aren't. They are not atheists because they believe in all the Darwinism nonsense. They're atheists because they simply don't want to be under God's authority. But again, that's another story for another day. So back to the Chinese. So that's one reason why it doesn't make any sense. I don't believe that Chinese are necessarily demon possessed and just waiting for the moment where they can strike and randomly kill the, uh, um, a third of mankind. It doesn't make any sense. Secondly, if you look at the description of these, well, uh, not the description of the horsemen, the fact that they are horsemen, if you try to modernize it, and that's one of the mistakes that people make, they try to modernize this and say that, you know, the Apostle John was just looking at our modern technology and didn't know how to describe it. So he described it in these odd ways, um, just like we, we saw in the last uh, episode where some Bible commentators will say that the locusts were military vehicles. They were helicopters or whatever. And they'll say the same thing here that, you know, John saw this Chinese army and he thought that they looked like demons. Uh, okay. But also said they're riding on horses. You can't have it both ways. Current armies don't ride on horses. We ride, if you're in a modern army, you're riding in a tank, you're riding in a Jeep, you're riding on an airplane or helicopter, not on horseback. The Chinese army is not that backwards. They, they have military vehicles just like the rest of the world. So how can they be horsemen and be modern? So you can't make it a modern army, and but then say that they're on horseback. Doesn't make any sense. And lastly, again, John was not an idiot. What he described here looks nothing like any sort of military. He described the people who sat on horsemen, these horses, as having breastplates of red and blue and sulfur yellow. Okay, that doesn't look anything like the Chinese army if you've seen their uniforms. And also, these horses that they're riding on had heads like lions with fire, smoke, and brimstone coming out. Now, they will say, well, that's, you know, they, that John is describing a tank or a military vehicle. No, a, a military vehicle looks nothing like a horse. And the tails of these so called horses were like snakes with heads on them. Again, that is not military stuff. Folks, this is demonic. This is supernatural. These are supernatural entities. 
probably some type of Nephilim chimera. We talked about chimeras in the last episode. That's what this is. This is not the Chinese army. This is not a current military of any kind. This is completely, totally demonic. Okay, so why are these angelic, fallen angelic, demonic entities wanting to kill a third of mankind? Well, because they hate us because we usurped their authority. We, we usurped their place. That's the reason I believe Satan fell is because he didn't want to be a ministering spirit, spirit to men. I think that Satan hates man. These creatures hate man. They've been bound for 70 generations. And if, you, if I'm correct, and these entities are the same ones that were bound during the time of the flood, they've, they've been bound for thousands of years. They have been chopping at them, but they've been storing up all that anger and they are releasing it now on mankind and they are, they're killing them. So they're getting their revenge. But another reason that these beings were releasing, why would God release them? Why, why does God want them out? Why does he, why did he want the demonic locusts out in the, that we saw in, in the last Trump in the last episode? Well, because remember one of the purposes of the tribulation is for God to fight give his final judgment on the spiritual evil that has wreaked havoc on the earth. So basically he's putting all the players on the table. He's releasing all these um, angelic prisoners onto the earth so that they can all be in one place so they can get the final judgment that we'll see in Armageddon. And well, in the seven bowls of wrath in Armageddon, which will be coming up down the road. But basically with these angels out of out of the prisons, with the angels that have been uh, have fallen from heaven, we saw the sixth seal, in um, in Revelation chapter six, they are no longer in heaven. They're they're cast out of the heavens and onto the earth. The angels who were bound under the earth were released, and they're on the earth now. The angels who are in the angelic beings and demons who are in the bottomless pit in the abyss, they've been released, and they're on the earth now. And now these angels who were bound in the river Euphrates, they've been released, and they're on the earth. So all the players, all the evil spirits of, from all generations, are now here on the earth, and now God can finally put out his last judgment. And we, we're actually going to see that when we get the announcement of that when we get to Revelation chapter 11. But that's, that is a few, four or five episodes from now, but we will get there. But now all the players are on the table and God can release his judgment. Okay. So as I said, these, the, one of the purposes of these seven trumpets, actually the main purpose of the seven trumpets is to break down the strongholds. So what does this demonic army killing a millions, hundreds of millions of people, what stronghold does that uh, take down? I believe it takes down the stronghold of Satan as the master of life and death. I hinted last episode that I believe one of the things that the mark of the beast does, and we'll, we'll get into that way down the road, but when we get to Revelation chapter 13, but I believe it's going to alter DNA. One of the many things it's going to do is going to alter DNA to basically turn people into Nephilim. And the Nephilim are far hardier and sturdier, if not uh, eternal. They may be immortal, uh, basically, you know, unless they, they suffer some kind of catastrophic physical injury. Otherwise, they will keep living. And I think that's going to be the promise of if you get the mark of the beast and you will be so durable that, you know, barring something cataclysmic happening to you, like, you know, getting caught up in a flood or, know, having some type of, of just, you know, catastrophic injury, you're going to keep living. Satan has positioned himself as the master of life and death. Well, this is going to show that he does, he does not have power over life and death because these, uh, this angelic army is going to kill hundreds of millions of people. And that will completely shatter the idea that, uh, Satan 
and has that authority. And with that, it will basically, that, that pretty much ends all of the beliefs that Satan had tried, has tried to foster on people during his false apocalypse. And that will lead to the seventh trumpet, which we actually won't get to for a couple of episodes. These There's a there's a parenthesis. I remember I, I talked before about the pattern of these um, these sevens where you have uh, six things happen and then there's a parenthesis. For example, there was the we had six seals in Revelation chapter six, and there was a pause for the 144,000 to be sealed. Now we have um, seven trumpets, but six trumpets are blown here. This was a sixth trumpet. And then now there's going to be a parenthesis. And we're going to talk about things like the John Eden, the little book in the next episode. And then after that, we'll talk about the two witnesses, which is going to be really fun getting into that. And then we get the seventh trumpet. So, but at this point, all the strongholds are down and Jesus can take possession. And we will start talking about that about two or three episodes from now when we get to that seventh trumpet being blown. But I want to wrap up this episode by looking at the final two verses of Revelation chapter 9, which in many ways are as amazing, even though they're they're less cataclysmic, but they're just as amazing as everything else. I'm going to read uh, verses 20 and 21 again. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, all the plagues, not just, well, I'm referring specifically to the, the, um, the demonic horsemen, but the rest of men who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols. And they didn't repent of their murders, their sorceries. And by the way, that term sorcery is, is the Greek term pharmakia, which where we get the word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals, meaning their drugs. They didn't re repent of their murdering or their killing people. They didn't repent of their drug use. They didn't repent of their sexual immorality or their, or their thefts, taking things that don't belong to them. So think about what's just happened in these uh, six trumpets. You've had all the green grass in the world burned up. You've had massive fires from the hell and, and, and blood. You have, you've had rivers and springs poisoned. You've had vast amount of water literally turned into blood. You've had the sun and the moon darkened. You've had these demonic locusts coming out of the abyss and torturing people for five months to the point that they wanted to die, but they were unable to even die. And then you have these other, these demonic horsemen riding around and killing hundreds of millions of people. And mankind still doesn't repent. That is astonishing to me. How can you see all this happen, all this cataclysm, all this death and destruction, and they don't repent? This shows how utterly irredeemable man has become. And again, these are people who have taken the mark of the beast. I believe that the seven trumpets, specifically at least the last two trumpets, are happening right around the time at the midpoint after the mark of the beast is taken. They've made These people have made their definitive decision that they are going with Satan. They are not going with God. They might be possessed by Nephilim or by demons at this point, but they still don't repent. And to me, that is as amazing as anything else that's happened previously. How do you see all of this calamity, all of this massive supernatural activity, and you don't repent? You keep murdering, you keep doing your drug, you keep doing sexual immorality, you keep taking things from others. They didn't repent. And to me, this is chapters, I mean, excuse me, verses 20 and 21 are two of the most remarkable verses in Revelation, because you would think that after all this would happen, people would say, oh, okay, God is real. I'm a sinner. This is horrible. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to divorce myself 
from, from, from the evil, but they don't. It says they didn't repent of their works. They didn't, they still keep worshiping. They, they still worship demons. They, they're still worshiping these entities that are presenting themselves as their saviors. Even though, you know, God has, has blown these, had these trumpets blown to break down the strongholds. And even though they have no more, no logical reason to even believe that Satan is the savior. He, he says he is that these fallen angels and demons are what they say they are. They still stubbornly refuse to stop worshiping them. That is one of this is one of the saddest commentaries on the state of human depravity that you will ever read in the Bible or any place else. Just truly, truly unbelievable. Okay, we're getting close to the bottom of the hour, so let's wrap this up. The six trumpets have been blown. All the cataclysms have happened. They've broken down the strongholds, and it will soon be time for uh, for the seventh trumpet to be to be blown and Jesus to take possession of the earth. But before that, we have a, uh, a, a parenthetical time, a parenthetical period that we're going to talk about in the next episode, in the next two. So in the next episode, we will talk about um, the angel with the little book. A little strange. It'll take one episode. I'll get through chapter 10 in one episode because it's not a ton of things happening physically. But we'll, we'll get into what these things mean when a mighty angel um, comes down with, he's very interestingly described and he, and he had the seven thunders, which by the way, this will be the, uh, in chapter 10, you will come to the second area of revelation where I have no explanation for. The first was the, 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 uh, the fifth trumpet where men want to die, but, but aren't able to. We talked about that. I talked about that last time. And I, I have no good explanation of, of how people will want to die and not be able to, you know, no definitive explanation. And then we'll get through the seven thunders and I have no explanation for that. And no one does, by the way, there is no explanation for it, but these are the two areas of the revelation where I have no real, no real interpretation. And then we'll get to the little book, which John eats and what, and why he has to eat it and what that all means. And we'll get through that in the next episode. So, Thank you for watching and listening. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to faithbyreason.net by going to the website and putting your information into that right navigation area so you will get these new episodes when they're available. Subscribe here on YouTube. Please hit the subscribe button. and Please hit the like and the share button. I appreciate it so that more people can see this and, and, and listen to it and you know, learn what, more about these end times and learn more about what Faith by Reason is doing. And I will talk to you next week when we go to Revelation chapter 10.